Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And Haiti has been on everyone's minds lately since that huge earthquake hit Port-au-Prince. Yeah, and there's been an interesting sort of moral tone to a lot of the discussions and commentary about Haiti. Katie, you actually blogged about this recently. Right. I was blogging about Port Royal in Jamaica, which was the Sodom of its day, and it completely sank into the ocean. And rather than being compassionate about it, a lot of people simply assumed it was divine punishment and they deserved what they got. Yeah, so there's a precedent for this uh, kind of bizarre-seeming moral judgment in relation to a natural disaster. But um, when it's tied to Haiti specifically, it seems to focus on the revolution. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Right. So to give you a little Haiti history, we've got the island of Hispaniola, which today is divided into Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Um, but it was settled by the Spanish and the French, the Spanish first, thanks to Christopher Columbus. And the Spanish side was called Santo Domingo and the French side, Saint-Domingue. And Saint-Domingue made so much money for the French. Um, money mostly came from sugar, but there's also coffee and cocoa and indigo. In the 1780s, Saint-Domingue equals a fourth of France's trade overseas. And in the 1790s, there were about 30,000 white people, 24,000 free people of color who were either black or of mixed race, known as the Jean de Couleur, and 450,000 black slaves. So notice the disparity there in numbers. It's the minority who has the power, but they're scared of the majority, which is the slaves. And they should be, as we will find out shortly. Yeah, and this free people of color group, the Jean de Couleur, are, are an important uh, aspect of, of this divide that'll come eventually. Uh, they often own slaves and plantations themselves, but they're not full citizens. So they're considered somewhere in between whites and slaves as far as their social class goes. Possibly the most important figure in the Haitian Revolution was a man named François-Dominique Toussaint, who was born into this society around 1743 as a slave on the Breda plantation, and it's fairly notable that he is actually born on the island. He's not African or, you know, he was not born in Africa. And in a country where there were so many more slave deaths than births, that's right. pretty notable. And he was a privileged slave, as was his father. He had some education. He knew some French and some Latin, which was unusual. And later in life, he was freed. Um, and he became a Catholic and married with children. And as far as his personal attributes go, he was a vegetarian, which I thought was a little unusual. And he was also very short, much like Napoleon Bonaparte. This will come up a little bit later. And we yeah. don't know what he looked like, but he's never described as handsome. So we're going to set the stage with the French Revolution taking place. And suddenly we have Liberté, Egalité, and Fraternity as a battle cry. And it is resonating all the way 
to France's colonies. Right. The local assemblies are now allowed in the colonies, like Saint-Domingue, and the Jean de Couleur plan to take advantage of these new rights. They demand the full rights of citizenship. But, you know, guess how France and the rich white people of Saint-Domingue felt about this. I'll give you a hint. Not great. Well, and we have lots of factions going on here, too, because we have whites who have taken the battle cry of the revolution to heart as well. And they're thinking it's the perfect time to um, have their own revolution. Yes, independent. Yeah, become independent of France because... You know, obviously, if France is not in control, maybe they could make more money. So the whites are divided between royalists and republicans. So there's so much going on here. And so that brings us to a rebellion. There's a small rebellion in 1790 led by Vincent Auger, who's a free man of color. And it's stomped out and he's executed. But that is not the end. That is just the beginning, um, especially because around 100,000 new slaves arrived in Saint-Domingue between 1788 and 1791. So our numbers are even higher. Yeah. So this is the slaves' major entry into into the picture. And we'd like to add that in this area of the world was pretty much the worst place to be a slave. Yeah. Treatment and, here was notoriously cruel. And the climate is horrible. Uh, the most of the French white people moved the island and try to get get back to France as quickly as they can. So and escape yellow fever. The climate is not hospitable to um, you know new arrivals. So up until this point, it's mainly been skirmishes between the free people of color and the white people on the island. But this is when the slaves get into it, and there will be blood, as I wrote in my outline, and also vengeance. In August 1791, under the leadership of a guy named Daddy Buchman, who was a voodoo priest, the slaves rose up and killed thousands and thousands of people and burned the plantations as they went. There were mutilations and other atrocities at the time. This wasn't just about independence. This was about getting back. And just kind of a side note here, we'd like to add that Haitian voodoo isn't what you would think of when you think of voodoo. It's not the little trinkets you can buy in New Orleans. It's uh, a combination of West African and Catholic beliefs. So it's a lot more complex than the little voodoo doll. So keep that in mind, please, when you're learning about Haitian voodoo. So the revolution is on at this point. And when the revolution breaks out, our guy Toussaint is not involved. He's not killing anyone. He's not burning anything. He even helps his master escape. And he supports the royalists until they decide to ask the British to help them. And then he's pretty he's much done with that done side. At that point. Right. Yeah, he's he- done being the good slave, quote unquote. And he joins the fight. And surprise, surprise, he's really good at being a leader. Oh, he's, he's a, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he he's the rebel leaders aren't um haven't been the best up to this point, but Toussaint is um an amazing amazing leader of the forces. Right, it was a very ill-organized movement before that. So he organizes everyone, gets his own kind of people together, and then teaches them all guerrilla warfare and they know that island better than anyone else. So it's going to be a hard hit for the French. He also takes over yeah. when um, when Buchman dies. Yeah, along with Jean-Jacques um, Dessalines. 
So under Toussaint and Dessalines' leadership, the slaves gained control of a large part of the island. And around 1793, Toussaint takes on the last name Louverture, and he becomes known as Toussaint Louverture for the rest of this. It means the opening. And it's still just uh, the people on the island versus France at this point. France is definitely losing, and they give rights to free men of color just because they have to. They're losing this this fight. But they also send in their own fighters because they don't want to lose this incredibly wealthy colony that they have. But it gets a little bit more complicated because around 1793, France is at war with both Spain and Great Britain. So Europe's going to get involved in this whole mess. Oh, yes. And the French want to regain control of their island. But the Brits and the Spanish see an opportunity. This is their chance to take over and get a piece of the pie. Spain would love to have the rest of the island. And the slave owners on the island also see an opportunity to ally themselves with Great Britain, which supports slavery. And, of course, the slave owners are trying to return things to the status quo, the the way of life that was making them so much money before. So Toussaint and the others are fighting with Spain at this point. France is completely outnumbered, and in 1794, they abolish slavery in the colonies. So a huge win for Toussaint and his group. But something else surprising happens in 1794. Louverture joins up with his old enemy, France, because the National Convention has declared emancipation in the colonies, and Great Britain and Spain have not. So he's seeing an ally now in his former enemy. Right, because that is his goal, to abolish slavery, period. So if you're going to go along with that, then he's going to go along with you. And his switching sides does not go well for Great Britain and Spain, because, of course, he's fought with them. He knows who's leading them. He knows what kind of strategies and tactics they'll do. And also, he's really good. He's good at playing them all off against each other, too. France, Spain, and Great Britain. And it's interesting to think of um, of all these world powerhouses meeting with the rebellion leader. Right. And it's cool to me, too. He was, I think, around 50 when the revolution started. And all he'd really done his life was be a, be a slave. slave. And yeah. this was his moment to shine. But while Louverture is messing with the great European powers, they're also messing with him. And France sets him up as lieutenant governor, and they're trying to set up other leaders to rebel against him. So everybody has multiple games going on at once. Right. But as far as public opinion at the time goes, the people on the island, the slaves, of course, love him. But surprisingly... Also, the Europeans and the Jean de Couleur on the island like him, too, because they like what he's doing for the economy. He's letting the planters come back out of exile. Which we were saying for the French Revolution, that was not something that happened. No. If you were a <laughs> French aristocrat, you were living in London. You were so. gone, and you better stay gone. But yeah. he let them come back and even forced the freed slaves to work the plantations because he needed that so he could trade, so he could get money, so he could fight. Yeah. I like Katie called this militant agriculture when she was talking about it with me earlier. Right. And that that really helped it make sense. Just it's not quite slavery, but you're still being forced to work on a plantation. So he made them work, but he wouldn't let them be whipped. He limited their hours and he gave them, I believe, a share of the produce as well. But still, clearly they didn't want to go back to their old lives and he made them do it. So in the meantime, as far as the battle goes, uh, he's still 
trampling the Brits. And they start to negotiate with him secretly. Um, they actually withdraw in 1798 or 1799. And part of this secret agreement is a trade agreement. Um, Saint-Domingue starts up trade again with Great Britain and the United States. They get arms in return for sugar. And Toussaint also makes a deal that he won't invade Jamaica or the American South. And the Brits say, hey, you know, we could make you king of an independent Haiti, but he doesn't trust them. And he still hates the fact that they have not abolished slavery for themselves. So he says no. But he does declare himself governor general for life of Saint-Domingue and basically sets up a military dictatorship with a new constitution. And some of this, I think I'd read somewhere, maybe in Smithsonian, that he'd had advice from Alexander Hamilton about doing this very thing, which we thought was a pretty cool side note. But he sets up courts, he tries to set up a tax system, and more importantly to him, impart his ideas of equality and tolerance. Along with his ideal of hard work, he thought people were basically lazy. and militant agriculture. <laughs> you had to coerce them into working. Yeah, but he has trouble administering a government. He's a great leader, but he's a wartime leader. Right. And it's a different kind of job. And a lot of people have died in the revolution, too. It's been at war. Europe has always been plotting against him. So there's a... They're wounds, basically. And there's still racial tension, too, because um, the white people and the mixed-race people think some of them are hoping that France will come back in and, again, bring things back to the old ways. And, of course, as we've mentioned, the ex-slaves don't want to be working these plantations, so they're being forced to work. And there are some black people on the island who want to get rid of all the planters and split up the plantations among themselves. Toussaint's nephew is one of these, and he leads a revolt, but Toussaint had him executed. We can't forget about the other side of the island, though, Santo Domingo. It's the same island, but they have slaves on that side, so that's got to be driving Toussaint kind of crazy, having these slaves right on the other side. It did, in fact, drive him completely (laughs) crazy. And in 1801, he takes over that side of the island as well, even though one Napoleon Bonaparte tells him specifically not to. And Louverture frees the slaves. And Louverture has told Napoleon he's a Frenchman. He doesn't need to worry. But he's clearly going way against Napoleon's command. Oh, absolutely. He writes to him talking about his loyalty and all good he's done for the island. But this um, power relationship where, you know, you have Napoleon ostensibly in control, uh, Saint-Domingue is still part of France, right. is really skewed if you have Toussaint going and invading another part of the island. Completely. And especially if you're thinking about their motives, which are completely at odds with one another. Napoleon wants to get France's colony completely back under control. And he's also, right, he's seriously a racist. And Toussaint knows this. And he knows that Napoleon would just bring slavery back if he only had just an inch, you know, to get his foot in the door that it's going to happen. Toussaint, on the other hand, wants to go to Africa and free all the slaves of the world. So we're talking about two people who have pretty much nothing in common. Well, so Napoleon sends General Victor Leclerc to the island, along with several thousand soldiers. We've seen numbers about 20,000 to 40,000. So a bit of a discrepancy there, but it's way more than uh, Toussaint is expecting. And the white people of the island and the free people of color side 
with Leclerc, um, whereas the blacks of the island fight against him. But eventually many end up on Leclerc's side because there's not much of a choice after a while they've been fighting. And Toussaint finally surrendered on the condition that Leclerc not bring slavery back to the island. So Toussaint retires to his own plantation. But the French think that he's probably still scheming to take control, which is like they were. (laughs) To be fair, he might have been. And they trick him into coming to a meeting where they arrest him and send him to France. And he's taken to Joux in the mountains and kept in a cold, damp castle. And the French are basically just waiting for him to die in this castle. And he does on April 7th, 1803. And we don't know what happened to his family, whether um, they stayed on the island or went to France. Some accounts have some of them going on the boat with him. And then there's no record of them after they get to France. So I'm assuming their fate couldn't have been wonderful. But after he dies, the fighting in Saint-Domingue went on. And on January 1st, 1804, Saint-Domingue became the independent nation of Haiti. And if you'd like to read a little bit more about the revolution than we've talked about in this podcast, I did a blog on it not too long ago, as we mentioned. So go to blogs.howstuffworks.com and look for Stuff You Missed in History class. It generated lots of discussion. It did controversial discussion. And we're going to end on a little bit of a lighter note and go to listener mail. Today's emails are both about our podcast on St. Paul's Cathedral during the Blitz. And our first one is from Katie, who recently moved to New York City. And she thanked us for helping her pass a test in English, which made me really happy. It's my favorite subject. Um, They read the short story, The Destructors, by Graham Greene. And she ended up being able to talk about symbolism and St. Paul's in her essay. So, Katie, I'm glad we were able to help. Yeah, we also got another email from Ladislav in Ontario. And uh, when we talked about St. Paul's, we mentioned how a few of the biggest bombs that struck nearby or even struck the cathedral didn't explode and how lucky that was for not only St. Paul's and the St. Paul's Watch, but the whole neighborhood. And Ladislav pointed out that those bombs failing to detonate was not an accident. Czech female laborers who were forced to work in arms factories by the occupying Nazis would sometimes sabotage the bombs by leaving out the crucial metal ring that could help the bomb explode when it hit the ground. And um, it's sort of a sad story, but because the Nazis were so careful to check for any of these rings being snuck out in pockets or aprons, the laborers would often have to ingest them, which would tear up their intestines when they were being passed through. But still, what a courageous other side of this story. And a really cool fact. So thanks to Ladislav for that one. And if you'd like to email us, it's historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. And we also started a Twitter if you would like to follow us. Uh, the name is Missed in History. So come find us. And you can find all of this on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 